Well, hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. On this Wednesday evening, September 23rd, 2020, I think my third podcast of the day on this rain-shortened day, after pondering so much of the negative things, it'll be interesting to try to try to visualize what could be the better future, you know, if some of these sort of progressive ideas are, you know, actually pursued and obtained and, you know, I think it's, one of the reasons some are so quick to reject them is because they're just too used to government not working and also um, bureaucracies and stuff, but there's, there's more and more people who get it, there's more and more people who are feel the connection that we have to each other, regardless of what we look like and such, you know, our reliance on each other, of different groups, of different communities, you know, there's there's trading and um, resources and it's a vast interconnected set of economies and people, you know, communicating with each other and mingling and, you know, so the the future has to be one in which it's more of a focus on on replenish, revive, and rehabilitate, you know, many of the ecosystems throughout the world that have been havoc on over the last few decades replenishing various ecosystems cleaning up uh, you know mess that we've been making I mean what happens you know what happens if the air is clear cleaner the water clear and uncontaminated soil uncontaminated able to grow nice clean healthy crops and the methods for growing crops becomes more uh, efficient without the use of chemicals and such, more organic and better. Yeah, but what, what if the food that we ate was better? You know, it was grown in a more, you know, any meat was grown in a, and raised in a, a far more healthy environment for the animal. It is going to be later be butchered. So able to at least roam around before that time comes, you know, able to live full life. You know, it is a living thing that we're killing. There's been a lot of times over the years. I remember my high school teacher in civics once saying that history is one of the things that history might look back upon our generation, like, you know, hundreds of years into the future, is the fact that we ate meat, meat, that we were still eating meat this far into our evolution. But sometimes, I remember thinking that was crazy at the time, because meat was such a cornerstone of my diet back then, but it's kind of weird how I eat probably less meat now, but I have more muscle mass than I did as a late teens, in the 20s when I ate like, meat all the time. I don't know, there's different ways to get protein. But, anyway, um, if there's going to be meat, cattle, 
I think, you know, if the price of meat goes up because the way that, you know, it, it's an animal. It has to live a certain way, you know. Cattle like to roam around, you know, the big goal things, you know, cows, 800 pounds or so. But they're, each one is an animal. It's an, it's a, each one is a living, breathing thing, you know, being, you know. I mean, you could look at them in the eye and they'll kind of stare at you and, I don't know, one of my jobs, you know, a little break there, I'd kind of walk across the street and just kind of, they'd come, and come over and mingle. It's just interesting how, it's like they almost understand the dynamic or something. Because, you know, you kind of move forward, even, even though they outweigh me by, you know, 700 pounds or whatever, whatever the heck, you know. I'm still like a little skittish if I walk close to them, so I'm backing up, all scared big beast of an animal, you know. But they mostly just like to roam around and eat grass, but they like a nice big vast space. I mean, if you got ten cows, you should probably have a good five, ten acres or so. At least, really. I mean, you gotta have a good wide area. If you don't have that, then you... Well, you know, you shouldn't be have that many cattle. But just, you know, a feature where, you know, the cattle and livestock is raised more humanely. Um, if it raises the price, it raises the price. People should seek out, you know, other protein sources as well. But then there's, you know, universal basic income. There's the there's a proper kind of that extra fat on the top, of, you know, that that sort of extremely super affluent class that's just earning exorbitant amounts of money. You know, you start funneling some of that excess back. In, straight into society, and yes, you you focus on direct public service type programs. Uh, there's a lot of waste created because of the system that we have created now, which is very extremely top heavy. When you know the federal government, this big massive entity, is only focusing on the interest of a tiny group, well then it's a government that's only focusing on the interest of a tiny group, so it's not really paid attention. So if you have, you know, universal basic income, you have corporations, businesses that are allowed to earn a profit, sure. You know, do they have to have safe work conditions? Yes. Do they have to treat their employees with respect? Yes. Well, of course. What's wrong with that? Nothing. You know? You have to be treated with respect as a human being, you know? You're not property. You know, you're not just a mule or something, you know, you're, you're a person, family. And so, you know, the business entity has to treat you as such. There's nothing wrong with that. Is uh, a wealth tax or a marginal tax uh, a tax on success? No, of course not. It's the, you could also call it the exclusive tax if you want, you know. And so the money raised will help build schools. You know, the kids, you, the, the schools you go to, they have really nice computers, really nice sports program, really nice music program, arts, all that sort of thing. All the teachers are top notch. The school itself, the building, the grounds, and all that, great condition. Meanwhile, you're getting a universal basic income 
well, earning a job, then maybe you don't like the job all that much, but with that universal basic income added on top to it, you can afford to go to the, you know, nice food place. I think it's just more like, we, we're so busy to get to the end or something. You want to, like, accumulate as much shit before our time is up. In the 90s, there was these shirts that were always around that said, No Fear. I remember one of them on the back said, He who dies with the most toys still dies. No fear. There's, um... Remember that... Seeing that shirt a bunch. Just that phrase really stuck with me. You know? You can accumulate all kinds of shit, but in the end, you still just die. What's your impact on the world, you know? And to be frank, I don't I don't really know how much impact I've had on the world. Is the only way to make an impact on the world to become well-known? But is that all that matters? Thinking about that, I think there's a pretty good chance that if and when this, any of these podcasts ever become of interest, there may be after I'm already gone, like many of the poets and stuff from the past and whatnot. But who knows? It'd be neat to earn more of an income from doing these kind of things instead of, you know, being a working grunt. But, you know, in a world in which the air you breathe is cleaner, the water you drink is fresh. The soil that you can plant your crops in is uncontaminated. The food you eat is safe. You know, humanely raised if it's meat. No pesticides used. And there's certain limits on how big certain corporates can get. Start having more uh, diversity in your economy. more than just like our, we have to slow down growth, we have to figure out a way to become way, way, way more efficient. Our economy probably doesn't even need to be as big as it is in order to properly, you know, sustain a population of our size. There are a ton of people on this planet, but it's not so much that there's too many. It's in, that we probably should stop, you know, producing at the rate that we are. Um, but if we are, we have to find ways to live m more in homeostasis with the planet. It is possible. There, I mean, there are a ton of us. There are the species that have the numbers that we do, but they obviously are uh, far smaller than us in physical size. But um, it's not just our individual physical size. It's the sort of shelters that we require, um, you know, the mode of transport that we use to get around and such and and how we sort of use things you know we create massive amounts of waste what if that was significantly less none even is that even possible are humans capable of not creating 
massive amounts of garbage, like tons and tons a year? What if it was none? Like none waste. Like everything that was, you know, some kind of waste product could be reused, remanufactured in some way, broken down in some way to be just refiltered right back in. It didn't just have to be buried. Like what? What if that amount was zero of like actual, you know, buried waste? Everything was able to be. So in the way, just stuff was packaged and stuff. But it would be just that fewer like processed foods and stuff. Better food chains to local communities and such, so that, you know, farmers could get food directly to the communities that are closest by. You know, food of varying types but you know that's that's the thing we're enter yeah um you know the the wonderful uh world economy which is cool and all so it's like if you want a certain thing that's not regional in any way you can just get it but there should be a somehow some kind of a adjustment to that but like the things that are native to your area and are in abundance are very, very cheap and easy to get in your community without middlemen and all that and without it having to be shipped from some far away place. It's just, it's right there. So that's what's available to you. You know, but... And if you, you know, you want it... I don't know, sometimes I almost think it would be better like the old days where if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted a Philly cheesesteak then you go to fucking Philadelphia and you get a cheesesteak at one of the famous, uh, you know, cheesesteak places. I got a Philly cheesesteak just at a fucking uh, random place somewhere, man. It was, f it was fucking awesome. Philly cheesesteak in Philadelphia. And then, you know, a Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza in Chicago. Something about eating those, like, specialty foods in those places, you know. Buy some California oranges in California. But, you know, I get the intrigue of having those in whatever place you're at. You know, getting oranges and things like that in Colorado. I don't really grow oranges. Or, you know, Washington State for the matter. It's not really oranges grown up here. We get grow apples and potatoes and stuff. But strawberries, different kinds of fruit. But some kind of... I don't know, modernizing the uh, food distribution chain because something happened when like the grocery stores started closing for a bit, beginning of Corona, there was like, and restaurants are closed, there was like not a way to distribute the food that was meant for restaurants to people. You know, they didn't have something set up, so food just ended up getting like thrown away. It's like, what the fuck? Like, like that. You know, there's got to be a ways to make the ways people get food more efficient. I think one of the ways is that you have, like, everyone gets, like, a universal basic income. But then I think you also get something where you, everyone who opts in, and they don't have to pay anything, they just opt in if they want it. If you don't want it, then maybe you can count it as a tax credit or something. I don't know. But like some sort of universal basic food allowance. 
you know, and it's just just for food, and it's very specific on what types of food and whatever, and sure, what you know, why not? I mean, you know, I would love a, a world in which you know the incomes in the United States of America are more of a natural bell curve of distribution of, of income, so you know. You have the vast majority of people making, you know, whatever, a, a, a decent income. Like, where I live, I don't know, it would be probably like 55 and up, you know. So, 80% of the population makes between like at least 55 to, I don't know, 120 or something. I, I don't know. 80, 95% maybe even. And then you got, you know, 5% that are kind of, that are, so 2.5% or so that are making less than 55. And 2.5% or so that are making, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. A very tiny percentage. But no one's making like 200 million a year. Just that you have certain things to where it's, it's rich. It becomes, there is... For lack of a better word, basically a cap on, on income. Not an exact number necessarily, but it becomes, you know, these massive income streams that are coming to individual people. It, it, there's ways where it just sort of gets siphoned off at some point. You know, money that's just pouring into individual people's accounts. Estate value is increasing exponentially. <laughs> while the economy is you know sagging that you know sort of these weird counterintuitive type things but then you investigate and say oh because there's a virus and people are staying at home the people that you know run facebook because more people are on their computer right now and logging on facebook and clicking on ads and stuff facebook's making more money so mark zuckerberg has more billions now. That's more billions with a B. Thousands of millions. Every billion is one thousand million. So you had a system where, you know, the 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 wealthiest people in America are are, are just fine. And and that's the thing, you know. <laughs> the guy with thirty billion goes down to three hundred million. His lifestyle is exactly the same. It doesn't really change. You know, he's got five or six homes. Each home is worth several million. It's all paid for pretty much outright. He's got tons of cars, a boat, you know, and his income is millions of dollars a year, even if he's not even working, just off of various, you know, ownership stakes. You know, if there was a way to more adequately refunnel that back into society, Better schools, better job training programs, better investment in environmental rehabilitation projects, which are jobs, of course, too, you know. Um, there's people that are definitely willing to do that. You know, and then more eco-friendly energy sources and such. <coughs> I mean, why not, you know? And of course, the other thing, you know, universal health care, so 
It's a world in which yeah, you get you get a universal basic income. It's not a ton. You get a universal food allowance. Um, you can work too. Work beyond that. You know the, the basics are kind of covered in the country. Yeah, basics. Some people that'll be enough, and there might be some people who the basics are not enough. They'll kind of look down upon the people who think that the basics are enough, and that's just how it goes, you know. And you're in a competitive democratic society. However, great thing about a democracy is you choose your own path, you know. So. You have the universal food allowance, you have the universal basic income, you have the free education, you have the free health care. Do you have some people that just do that? They just live off the system, quote unquote, get odd jobs here and there, and, and for the entirety of their life? Well, I mean, yeah, there might be a few here and there for the entirety of their life. They never have any sort of real job, quote unquote and purely and solely live just off the basic income, the food allowance, the free health care, and being able to go to school for free. However, if you combine all those, well, then what, what are we talking about? We're talking about a person that's probably, you know, keep, keeping a low profile but getting schooling, staying healthy, living, being a part of their community and somehow, they're not working, but then they're going to school. Well, in the ancient times, there was people who were philosophers. Was that their job? You know, they were just people that went to school. They were very learned. You know. Okay. You know. Why does everyone have to work 40 hours a week? Why? You know. Why, why is it so important that macroeconomy grow? So that would be the great thing about a country that, you know, embraced progressive values universal basic income, even a food allowance, you know, getting real hippie there, um, universal health care, free education, all that kind of stuff. But yes, there would be some people, maybe even a good portion of people, where that would be enough. The great thing is you would have the option to choose more than that. The basics would just be basic, you know, a basic place to stay, some basic, you know, basic food allowance to be able to afford to eat, get basic necessities. You know, access to health care. If you get sick or need a checkup, go do that. And the ability to go to school, to get as much schooling as you need, to feel like you're ready to be a productive member of society. And if you decide you want to learn some job skills, you can get those as, as well. Now, you know, maybe, you know, you do all those things, you know. And after many, many years of school, you, you know, you're in your early 30s, you finally are like, okay, now I know what I want to do. And you start working a job. And right off the bat, you're really good at it, and you start making lots of money, and you start paying your first federal income tax. You file your first federal income tax, you know, form. Because obviously, if your only income is the universal basic income and the food allowance and such, well, then you don't really have to file a tax return because it's just the sort of automatic money. But anything earned be above and beyond that, you know, yeah, 
But that, that's again, that's your choice. How you decide to live your life in this country is your choice. So if you choose to kind of like demean others because they're choosing to just live a basic life, well, you're, you're choosing to do that, you know. They don't need to work, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever. If you feel like you need to, if you want more, well, then you will need to work. That, I mean, that's kind of... But um, and then I think if you combine that with, you know, some kind of basic estate tax type stuff, you can make the number pretty high. You know, any estate's worth over a really, really, really big number. Just so that it's, you know, you know, if, but I don't think it should be too crazy. I think anything over maybe 10 million is plenty. One a single individual has a net worth of over 10 million. They're able to give the first 10 million to their heirs completely tax-free. I mean, even if it's divvied amongst 20 people, that's a, that's a healthy chunk of change there. But anything portion above that ten million is going to be taxed pretty heavily, you know. But it's just money that goes to the heirs, so they they still do just fine. And if they haven't been doing anything with their life, except living off the basic income, and the money that their, you know, benefactor was giving them, well, then that's how they were living their life, you know. So if they're they're choosing not to do more, well then that's their choice. Truly creating something. So I think what I would see is just a you know economy that just benefits more the the people doing all the work. And there was less just massive amounts of monies just, you know, shooting up to this tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population. I mean, you're talking about individual people earning 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in a year when the average income in the U.S. is 55,000, you know. That, that's one year of earnings. And, and most of the people that earn that kind, like especially if they're CEO of some big, massive corporation they have multiple years of that kind of earnings you know so you have a system where you, you still have you know an affluent class you still have wealthy socialism is no good you know I'm, I'm not for socialism you know pure socialism that's no good everyone makes the same type thing or no um, no no it very much uh De, you know, democracy, you know, sort of a progressing forward idea, more so. So, government that takes care of the basics, you know, make sure the lights work, make sure the roads are safe, and make sure the schools are safe and well staffed, and you know, well funded, so that people can get as much education as they want. You know, make sure that people are getting the training they need, so that they can. Be productive members of society. Make sure that people are getting the training they need in various jobs that they're interested in or have an affinity for, and the schooling and uh, that they need for, you know, the career path that they might choose or whatever. You know, the more skilled and intelligent 
the people are, you know, the better our society is as a whole. So, I mean, I think... I think it's just that the uh, the message that the Republican Party has been offering for so long now, it's just one of such doom and gloom that the, it's difficult, it's become difficult to even paint the picture because the realities of living in this country are the realities of living in this country and the Republican Party is what it is. So, you know, it's, and there's, you know, people that still dig it, still dig the Republican Party. It's, it's almost maybe just out of, you know, uh, habit or, uh, you know, tradition. If it's something you've just been doing forever, supporting that organization. But I think we can do better, you know, because you'll see it in little pockets throughout the country where it's like these little communities that kind of are doing it just right. They kind of find a way to kind of, you know, Distribute the sources in a little bit more efficient way to where the to where the, the lower end doesn't get too low and the people at the upper end don't get too far ridiculous. There's kind of like, you know, there's, there's kind of these little safety nets to kind of prevent people from, or uh, maybe it's a little, I guess, right word, but just... There's kind of just restrictions on getting too ridiculous, you know. Um, people can still be affluent, but they... And so people just... And there's, there's just that right mix, you know, of uh, resources. People happy, there's prosperity. You know, the schools are well-funded and all that, and, and it works. You know, good healthcare system. So now a lot of times around this planet, those kind of areas where you see that working really well are uh, not all, as often in the United States, a lot of times they're in other countries, but we have that here in certain, you know, cities and stuff, but we just have to kind of get out of our own way, get over like certain small-minded views and stuff and start appreciating this crazy weird thing called life. Such a weird trip life is, man. Hmm. There's, there's such a thing, though, that there's be some kind of awakening. Right? Maybe this, like, it's just like a, I mean, I, I get the yearning sometimes, you know, like, um, I wanted to, I thought it'd be cool to do like a modern day version of like the uh, Merry Pranksters. Ken Kesey and, uh, fucking, what's the other guy? Ken Kesey's the guy that wrote, uh, One Floor with the Cuckoo's Nest. But they used to just, you know, band of misfits and, artists and writers and poets and musicians and they just all banded together and you know rode around the country and formed <laughs> uh, acid tests and whatnot um, but I always thought it'd be cool to do some modern like that but like just kind of go and 
try and I don't know get some new kind of energy going kind of playing off picking up where the hippies were going in the late 60s before it got kind of you know stomped out by the state but finding some new way to do this crazy experience evolve to the next thing in one way I think to adjust our massive economy to different ways is boycotting, you know, that, that was used a lot in the 60s. Boycotting big, massive corporations on, on in mass, but with a massive coalition of sort of a network of people to sort of aid and assist the various people that are going to be shortly thereafter becoming jobless because they're working for said big massive corporation because it needs to be swift and with a massive effort on multiple locations just a massive boycott be very difficult to do people are very loyal to these corporations they become like a part of your identity you know but they're just big massive entities for the sole purpose of creating a benefit for a small group of individuals that actually own them and most of the people that own any stock don't really own much. Something like eighty percent of the stock market is owned by, a, you know, a single-digit percentage of people. So, what if people did that though? You could do it. It's legal to not shop at Walmart. <laughs> you know, you're not legally obligated to shop at Walmart. I mean. I try to avoid Walmart as much as I can. Sometimes, you know, someone's parents are buying me a pair of work shoes and I'm in my hometown. Well, that's the place they buy shoes. Walmart. They lasted a couple months. They were long overdue to be replaced, though. Cheap-ass Walmart shoes. Seemed decent enough when I got them, though, and they weren't too expensive, of course. I mean, Walmart's not that great. You know, it's cheap, usually, sorta, kinda. Sometimes it's not that much cheaper than a, a regular grocery store or something if it's like the super Walmart that has groceries and stuff. The clothes are cheap, but, you know, they're cheap. Cheap for a reason. Ones that are more expensive? No. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that would be, that's like a whole lifestyle adjustment for millions of Americans, like for millions of people, various corporate entities are like, you know, a, a part of, if not their daily routine, they're a part of their weekly routine. Giving up on those things would be, would affect their identity. You know, who are you if you don't go to McDonald's? every week and get a Big Mac or whatever the fuck. Who are you if you don't go to Costco every Sunday to do your grocery shopping? What, what do you do then? You know? Of course, some corporations are less bad 
Some corporations actually treat their employees with a little bit of respect. But some corporations are just too darn big, you know. Just, just too massive. And some are just not even really that good at what they do. But because it's just so big and become the only option, because they eliminate all competition, you just sort of end up going there with a kind of a ho-hum, oh well, you know. But that'd be the thing, you know, you just kind of get some kind of movement going, not just the marching in the streets, boycott. Pick a specific corporation. Pick the one that's like the worst and the one that would have the biggest. To me, that would be Walmart. Walmart's kind of the epitome of, you know, greed and apathy, pretending to be something different, you know treats its workers horribly and its entire purpose is to benefit the Walton family the descendants of Sam Walton the descendants of Sam Walton are billionaires because of their ownership of Walmart their estates have exponentially grown since they inherited the Walmart company Walmart has expanded everywhere every Walmart looks basically the same it's very almost a clinical feel to it so you know there's certain specific grocery stores I've been to where I can picture them you know, like picture it specific location like Huckleberry's in Spokane in South Hill it's a very unique one-of-a-kind one-off local grocery store there's just one it's laid out in a certain way and it's got like a cool little organic and you know, craft beer section all kinds of wine and good cheeses and all that kind of stuff a little more pricey but it's just a really nice in a cool location of South Hill you know it would be nice to have more of those kinds of businesses you know, there was another one that um, you know went out recently just Hastings it was a good one books and movies and stuff but that's you know more related to like technological improvements I guess but a place where you can go and sort of buy physical copies of music movies you know even some certain uh, electric appliance and stuff. It's, it's it's nice to be able to do the expression when it's like a at least somewhat more local type place. You know, there's been certain like days of the year, like National Local Business Day and stuff like that. But but that needs to be more like on a massive scale. And universal basic income helps that too. You know. But people gotta, they gotta find a way to get off their addiction of, to you know, the corporate, corporate food and corporate products. It's very difficult though because they're intertwined in so many different levels of the economy, so many different sectors. You know, there's small businesses that end up relying on certain big chain corporations as their supplier. It's just they find it just to be more efficient that way. So, uh, you know, a little. 
small town theater selling snacks or something will buy their snacks at uh, Costco. You know. You know, why not? But, I don't know, yeah, but economy with like more unique, um, personal, one of a kind small businesses that are sort of like a, a true part of the economy, not these sort of just, I mean, Walmart, Walmart's just Walmart. It, it, it's just, it, it's the exact same look no matter where it is. It doesn't adapt to anything, you know. It's just, this is what a Walmart is, you know. It's just, I don't know. We can do better. But are we too far along? We're too accustomed to the way we've been doing things. Changing would be weird. What would we do with ourselves if we could eat the same amount, if not better? Um, you know, have better health care than we do now, access to more education than we do now. In totally improved quality of life and the total number of hours that we work on average, was somehow like less, like what would we do with ourselves, you know, if there was just more time to go around, you know, you didn't have to work as hard to maintain the same quality of life that you have now, what, what then, you know, the possibilities, but, But so it's with, uh, you know, investing in progressive valleys, Green New Deal, so cleaning up a mess, reducing our carbon footprint. So not just slowing down our rate of pollution, but, you know, cutting it, emitting it, you know, you know cutting emissions entirely and um, doing things to offset dramatically. Getting a better level of homeostasis going. And, I mean, it's obviously extremely in business. Uh, ambitious. We've been destroying this planet for a long, long time. We really ramped it up during the Industrial Revolution, and we haven't really slowed down. We've only uh, increased in the last few decades. Even after we started becoming aware as humans and American citizens in the 70s, before I was even born, about the dangers of pollution and climate change and stuff. There's even corporations like Exxon and Chevron and all that that knew about it years ago. Try to keep it quiet. You know, we still didn't really do much. So now it's 2020. You know, and I have kids. You know, I'm I'm 40. 40 seemed very old when I was a kid, but now that I am 40, it's like, hmm, not really that old. Yeah. But so I'd like to be around a while, but. What kind of world, what kind of future is this? Are we, you know, building for ourselves. You know, it, there is cause and effect. We are doing what we're doing. So, can we stop? Can we, can we yearn for something better? Can we work towards something better? You know, and why is it bad to want better? You know, why is it wrong to wanna? Treat other people with respect. Is it ambitious? Yeah. It's 
not necessarily naive, you know. There's a lot of us, though. We all have our opinions, and but there is this less kind of stress and tension on the environment itself. I think it could help with the stress and tension that we put on each other. You know, maybe we can all get along better if the planet that we were living on wasn't in such a peril, you know. If it was better at, you know, uh, the planet was more conducive to life, well, then our lives would improve, you know, if there, if there was fewer ecosystems that were being damaged and in, in the ones that were, were being repaired and revitalized, like around the globe. How would that affect us as people? You know, the planet we were living on started behaving better or whatever, or, you know, just started improving. Well, we would improve as well with it, you know, because we're very much a part of Earth. So we're, we're kind of of Earth, you know. It's so we collectively around the globe take better care of planet earth then you know we collectively also start feeling feeling better less tension and stress and you know and probably starts thinking more clearly about you know how we all live on this big massive but yet small at the same time planet in a huge vast universe you know, there's got to be a way. <laughs> Man. But we'll see. These are dark times that we're in. That all the coronavirus, that's it's America. It's over 200,000 now. Over 200,000. Trump is still the president of the United States. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, famous uh, kind of racist, con man, sexist, um, dumb shit, who uh, became a game show host, currently the president of the United States. He was impeached, third president to become impeached, but he was not convicted in the Senate, even though he did abuse his power. He abused his power, but he does have an R next to his name currently. He used to have a D next to his name. The D stood for Democrat, but he has an R now. So the R's said that, uh, you know, decided that they're objective their purpose as senators was to protect the interest of Donald Trump so Donald Trump did abuse his power but um, Republicans felt like that was okay for him to do because he does have an R next to his name and he did sign a tax bill that gave wealthy people more money he did that right early on so you know yeah I mean, that's kind of where we are. And then Trump is talking about, uh, you know, delegitimizing election and stuff like that. So, you know, it, 
my goals are definitely, you know, progressive values and stuff. And, and also decriminalizing cannabis and stuff like that. And uh, all those progressive ideas. Uh, Green New Deal, free education, universal health care. Universal basic income. And then the thing I was talking about earlier, the kind of food allowance type thing too as well. Those are, you know... Kind of the more kind of the long term, the kind of future goals of uh, if we can if we can get out of the shitstorm that we've uh, put ourselves in a few years ago with uh, Trump. Um, so like if our you know if our country's still kind of here in some form, you know. Um, Trump goes along too long and he, he's allowed to uh, prop up too many of his enablers and too many sort of uh, pretty dark people into positions of great power in the federal government, then it's, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to, well, to even have a democratic government in the slightest, let alone one that's progressive, so... Um, but maybe by, you know, recognizing where we are, more people can understand the importance of um, you know, voting in 2016 and, or 2020 and moving on from this and, and getting away from this dissent that Trump has put us into. Because he's, you know, doing everything he can to you know, make sure the whole country benefits his team. But what if what if the country benefited the people? You know, what if the government benefited the people? What if he had the right to an education? Right to health care. You know, right to a basic income. Yeah, I know it seems lofty, but imagine it. You know? You still decide to work because you decide that you don't want to just live off a of basic income. Okay. You have some attitudes about this basic income, but then you start getting it. Let's say it's only 850 bucks a month when you first start getting it, so you're really dismissive of it. So you just... Just to show that you're, you, you, you don't want it or whatever, you just put it into a bank and just have it directly deposited. And then just kind of forget about it. And let's say, like, after maybe, like, the first year of this universal basic income, it's actually found that enough revenues are coming in that we can, that the government can raise it. So it goes up to, like, 1200 a month, you know, for every American over the age of 18, you know. The vast majority of people are still going to be working. They, during this time, they also, you know, are getting regular checkups. Healthcare. A bunch of people decide to go back to school, and some of them decide while they're going to school they still work full time. Uh, they go decide to go back to school because it, you know it's free. You know they apply to a college, publicly funded college, are accepted, and so they start going. Uh, you know to the college that's nearby, so they they don't live in a dorm or anything. You know the the non traditional student uh, is what we refer to. Um, people that were not between the ages of 18 and 25, basically. Um, when I was a college student, 
that that number, you know, the percentage of non-traditional students, you know, people, older students, you know, people that are already in the workforce, and, you know, parents and such, and that go back to school and try to earn degrees certainly increases dramatically when uh, once, you know, college is just free. You still got to apply and get accepted, which is a little bit of a process. You just got to, you know, write an admissions letter, fill out an application and apply. Sometimes there's a fee. So yeah, when public universities are free, uh, you still got to apply and be accepted. That's all the same. But yeah, you're, you apply and are accepted. And you want to go there, well then you go. It doesn't matter how old you are or whatever. You know, so if you're, you know, living in a town that has a college, so you decide to go, you want to go there, so you apply, just maybe just on a whim, because you're, oh, they're here, the government's letting us go to college for free. And maybe just as a goofy thing, and all you have is a high school diploma. But then you're accepted. And the college is in your town, so you just you live at home. Take a few classes. You can be a full-time or part-time. It doesn't really matter. Why not? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you know. So, but in the meantime, we gotta get rid of Trump first, because he's uh. You know, just, yep. Unfortunate that it had to come this far. We actually had to, we're actually getting to the point where the, uh, you know, we're going to let him run a second time. Why do we have to actually, why can't it just, the, some sort of mechanism, something come in place to where he's just not allowed to run a second term, something. Why, like, why, why the Republican Party just have to nominate him again? You know? Who cares about his feelings? You know? Like, I mean, he doesn't even care about other people's lives. Why should we really care about Donald Trump's feelings? They didn't want to hurt his feelings by not nominating him again. So, I just stuck with him. So I really hope that, like, you know, that's the real naive, maybe, dream and goal, is that a lot of my, like, conservative friends just stop buying Republican poor shit. And just, what they do instead, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not... Whatever. I mean, libertarian is cool. I'm not real big at libertarian, but, you know, Democrats or Green Party, just more options for representation. It'd be pretty awesome. I don't know, though. September 2020. We are definitely at, a, you know, a certain... crossroads or whatever what does our country decide in the next couple of months and can we get back to something resembling democracy you know and I strive towards world peace and 
world order and, you know, communities working together and respect for our neighbor. That would be nice. So, thank you anyone who is listening. God bless. Wear your mask. Stay safe out there. This is Gary. Thinking out loud.